Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We are an Acts 2.42 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through his word and by his spirit. Morning guys. Morning, morning, morning. Hope you're all well this morning. Um... I'm excited for this morning to be sharing from God's Word, and I'm particularly excited because when I went this morning to bring it up on my iPad, my iPad couldn't handle it. It said, no, I'm not going to work this morning, so uh, we know we're in for a, a mighty word of, from the Lord this morning. I've had to bring the full laptop, okay? So, like, we're okay. We're going to be in for a good one this morning. Um, I'm going to be sharing about Amazing Grace, and... Uh, it is amazing, and hopefully by the end of this morning, uh, we'll all feel really in a place of privilege, of blessing, and a real anointing in terms of what God does with grace. In 1 John chapter 2, 1-2, it says this, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But any, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. What a scripture that is. What a scripture. And I think there's many scriptures that I could read this morning in order for us to understand the full biblical truth that the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God's son, was and is God's only solution for sin. There's no way of avoiding the teaching in the Bible that humanity is morally at fault before a holy and before a perfect God. The consequences of which no one can enter his presence and stand condemned. In Romans it says, for all have sinned and fall sure to the glory of God so no matter what you think of yourself this morning and it may be that you sat here this morning thinking well actually Craig I'm a good person and I do good things and I don't go out of my way to bring anyone harm or to do anything wrong or to have any bad thoughts listen to this in verse 23 it says for the wages of sin is death no one can enter the presence without standing condemned. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God looks through a holy lens. He's perfect. He's holy. He's love. And when he sees us, 
Do you know what he sees? He sees the same thing. Because he sees you through his son Jesus and what he did for you. How amazing is that? Because without Jesus, you know what? If God was looking at you without Jesus, he'd see all of your impurities. He'd see all of your sin. He'd see all the things you do wrong. He'd see all the thoughts that you have that aren't right. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, God doesn't see that. He sees through his son, Jesus, and he sees you having been forgiven. Just think about that for a minute. Is that not amazing? Is that not all-powerful? Is that not beyond even our thinking? It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. You see, having a moral code does not take sin away. In Galatians 3.10, it says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything that is written in the book of the law. And there's lots of scriptures like this that repeatedly tell us that there's only one way to having our sins forgiven. Repeatedly killing off worst offenders does not take away sin. In Genesis it says the law the Lord saw how the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. The Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret I have made them. You see, even God taking out all of humanity, it still didn't cure the fact that humans are morally corrupt. Our thoughts, our thinking, our deeds are not in line with his holiness. So even starting again didn't get rid of that. We all know the story of Noah and what happened there. Being part of a group, an ethnic group, keeping religious festivals does not take sin away. In Galatians it said, it's for freedom for Christ to set us free. Mark my words, I, Paul, this is the Apostle Paul speaking in Second Mark. He says this, for I tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value at all. Because you are trying to be justified by the law and instead you will be alienated from Christ. Because whatever happens, the hearts of even the most comparatively moral people are deceitful and wicked. In Jeremiah 17, 9, 10, it says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I see the Lord search my heart and examine the mind to reward each and every person according to their conduct, according to what deeds they deserve. And this is why the prophet Jeremiah and Ezekiel decreed that God needed to give people new hearts. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you 
from your heart of stone and give you a new heart of flesh. Jeremiah 31, 33 says this, this is the covenant I will make with my people of Israel, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, sin not only separates people from God, it makes them morally guilty. It leads to sickness, broken relationships, corrupt governments, hypercritical religious leadership, spiritual torment, war, and a plethora of other things. We cannot escape from it. Or at least we cannot escape from it ourselves. In Romans 7, 21 to 25, it says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is within me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another, another war at work in me, a waging war where it takes over my mind and makes me a prisoner. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Tough stuff, right? Like pretty hard scriptures. But my message this morning is it's thanks to God that he's, he has delivered us through this, through his son, Jesus Christ. As much as we can read the scriptures of truth about us being deceitful, about all the things that we do wrong, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's son, that is a solution to sin. You see, when God sent Jesus to die on a cross for you, that was his gift of grace. A gift of amazing grace. And we need to embrace that grace and understand it was given to us as a gift. The Bible has lots of scriptures that, that basically explain how human, humanity is, is corrupt and morally not right in the, in the sight of a holy God. That is true. And I've read those, some of those scriptures this morning. But then there's the other truth in the Bible that says, yes, but... Hang on a minute. I sent my son to die on a cross so that all of that is no longer. That is the enormity of what I'm trying to share this morning. That's the wonder. That's the amazing part of grace is that we no longer have to live in a law. We no, have, no longer have to take the burden of sin because Jesus has already paid that price that we may be free. That is so good. That is so good. See, Christ died as a substitute sacrifice to pay the penalty for all of humankind's sin. The Bible states that God is holy and righteousness, and righteous, sorry, and therefore cannot simply forgive sin without a proper punishment. As humans are sinful. Incapable of adequate atonement, God sent Christ to take our place and bear the punishment that we deserve. You see, Christ bore God's wrath on the cross. For those who put their faith in him can be forgiven and reconciled with God. Our sins 
were transferred to Christ. While his righteousness is transferred to us. You say his substitute deaths that satisfies God's justice, allowing people to pardon those united in Christ by faith. In other words, God is so holy and just that he needed a price to be paid. And it was Jesus who paid that price. God wasn't going to allow sin to be wiped from us without something being paid because that is a God of God of justice. He needed a price. Yet he sent his son. I mean, it's just so hard to wrap your head around that God would be so loving to do such a thing. The penalty for our sin is such a steep fine that we would never be able to pay. Imagine a courtroom, okay? Imagine you're in court and you stand guilty of a crime you did commit. The judge is a good man, but he is bound by the law. He has to bring justice. He must sentence you to pay the fine for what you've done. Though he knows you're not able to pay the fine, just as the judge is about to pronounce your sentence, an unknown man steps forward and offers to pay the sentence for you. He has no wrong of his own, but he's going to cover your penalty. After confirming that the man is serious, the judge agrees to accept this man's penalty and payment. The sentence is paid in full by the generous stranger. Justice is served and you are spared punishment. In the same way, we stand guilty before God because of our sin with a penalty that we could never pay. But Jesus willingly stood in our place and he paid that penalty. He paid that sentence of death for us. His perfect life as a sacrifice to satisfy God's justice so that sinners like me and sinners like you can be free, can be pardoned and be can reconciled with Christ. How amazing is that? And this is, in essence, what people call the atonement. You see, some people protest against the idea that an innocent Jesus should be punished on behalf of the guilty. For example, would you feel justice is done if the friend of a person who murdered your child went to prison on their behalf? Atonement is grounded in biblical revelation. 
It's not human philosophy. It reflects God's moral framework, not ours. So it might not make sense to us, but it makes perfect sense to him. So I have a couple of things I want to draw out of grace this morning. The Apostle Paul wrote to his friend and ministry companion Timothy, and he said this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, he says. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience and example of those who believe in him and receive eternal life. And in 1 Timothy, it says, the fact we are recipients of grace should keep us humble because it is so merciful. How do we then live this out? Good question. Is it possible to want grace for ourselves and justice for others? People are still flawed and need God's grace. And we, as people who have had our sins forgiven, should extend that grace to others as much as possible. So how can you walk in God's grace this week? Yeah, a lot of you know I work for a charity, and uh, it's an anti-trafficking charity. And part of our work is bringing perpetrators of human trafficking to justice. We literally help victims who have been trafficked and who have been exploited to bring freedom to them and justice to their lives. And part of that is sentencing traffickers to jail time. That's part of what we do. We've just had 13 traffickers sentenced here in the UK for horrendous crimes against children. Now, where do I sit on this? Honestly, from a human perspective, I say good riddance. Throw away the key. Lock them up for life. Honestly, that is what my human heart wants to do. I've seen the darkness so dark in terms of what they've done. Any sight of grace is really hard for me to think about. But I ask myself, where does God draw the line on justice and grace and forgiveness? We give money as a church to another charity called Mayak which means lighthouse in Russian. Now, the guy who helps run the charity, he was, and th th this is a charity, sorry, that, that helps women uh, particularly being trafficked into Russia in the sex industry. But this guy was an ex-pimp. He was an ex-trafficker. He, he was the one who'd send the women into Russia to get exploited. Yet he is now running the charity, helping women 
who have been in that situation. Redemption, grace, restoration, it's all part of God's plan, no matter how far we've strayed from him. And I have to remember myself each week as I see through work an individual that we've had in court and has been sent to prison for crimes of human trafficking, I have to check my spirit and I have to pray for that person. I have to pray for forgiveness and grace. Do you know how hard that is? When I've seen the actual pictures of a teenager tied to a bed, being sold for sexual exploitation, and then I've got to pray for that person who put them there, that they may find freedom and grace in Jesus Christ. It's hard, guys. It ain't easy. But you see, God is such a loving God that he doesn't draw the line and say, well, if you've done this, then no, my grace isn't for you. He doesn't say that. He says, my grace is for everyone. My grace is for everyone. I love, I don't know if anyone's watched The Chosen. Hands up if you watch The Chosen. Yeah, love The Chosen. But it reminded me of... um, a passage in the Bible um, called The Calling of Matthew. And I'll, I'll read what the Bible says. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And I love this passage because it teaches us one thing. We're never too far gone that God's love can't reach us. One day, Jesus was walking past the tax collecting booth of Matthew, and I kind of wonder what was going on in Matthew's heart as he saw Jesus approaching. I'm not sure. But as a guess, there was probably regret. You see, long ago, Matthew had sold his soul. Tax collectors were among the most despised of people in Israel. Not only had they considered collaborators for collecting taxes for the the hated Roman government, they were also considered cheats and they took money for themselves, money that wasn't theirs, and they pocketed the excess. Why Matthew took this path, we won't know. But perhaps as time went on, he discovered that money wasn't quite worth the price that he had paid. It wasn't bringing him what he wanted from life. There was no joy in what he was doing. Instead, it only brought anxiety and despair. Is it possible that he saw Jesus approaching and Matthew felt almost jealous for the disciples, knowing that part of him wished that he could also follow Jesus? He'd heard and seen quite a lot of what Jesus was teaching. He'd heard of the miracles and, and, and perhaps in Jesus he thought there might be a way out of the hell that he was in. But he thought there's no chance. There's no way Jesus would accept me as a follower because I'm too 
far gone. I've sinned so many times. I've sold my soul. I've, 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 I've chosen my path. And then suddenly, Jesus stops at Matthew's booth. He looks at him. Matthew probably felt everything at that moment was being laid bare before that gaze of Jesus. His head probably dropped in shame and guilt, but then Jesus said this word, Matthew. And when Matthew heard that, and he looked up, he didn't see condemnation in Jesus. He saw compassion. He saw forgiveness. And he saw grace. Jesus said to him, follow me. That's it. Just follow me. Two simple words. Seeing those words of follow me, there's meaning. And it's, it's not too late for any of us. There's forgiveness available to each and every one of us. There's hope. There's redemption. Just follow me, Jesus says. And Matthew left everything, the money, the lifestyle, everything to follow Jesus. Yeah, there was still a lot that needed to be dealt with in Matthew's life. But that day, he took a first step into a new life. So how about you? Do you feel ever that you're beyond redemption? That you've gone too far for God, who probably has given up on you? I want to tell you this morning, he hasn't. He still loves you. He looks upon you with compassion. He offers you full forgiveness and mercy. All you have to do is take that first step, following after him. Change will take time. Like Matthew, you won't become perfect overnight. There'll be struggles with sin. There'll be times you'll fail. But when you take that first step, saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. Please be my Lord. He will give you a new heart. And you'll be able to follow him. And he will change you from the inside out. You know, too often people think, well, I'd like to go to church, but I need to get my life sorted before I go to church. It's wrong thinking. You need to come to church first and let, let God sort things out through your life whilst you're in church. You see, we can't ever get ourselves into a place where we're perfect enough to follow Jesus. He does that working through us. So if you're thinking that way this morning, let me just pray for you right now very quickly. Lord Jesus, I have failed and I have sinned. And I've gone my own way. Forgive me. I thank you, though, that I have failed so badly that you died to redeem me. I thank you that there is hope for me. And now I want to follow you. Give me a new heart, a heart to follow you. Make me yours. Be my Lord and change me from the inside out. Starting today, in Jesus' name. Amen. just going to finish up now because I had another couple of points
I wanted to make. Um, I will make one of them, okay? Bear with me, because I think this is important. In, in John 1, 8 to 9, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We continue to sin as Christians, even though we're on a journey to stop sinning. Charles Spurgeon, the famous theologian, said, I had to go to Christ for pardon for every fault as it occurred. Continuously, I must say, forgive me. And continually, Jesus says, I do. Do you go to God for forgiveness? Or has your embrace of truth, of who you are, stopped you from doing so? I find this really challenging. I, I personally, I fail in habitual sin. Mostly the small stuff. Sometimes the odd thing that trips me up big time. But I can't help myself. It's like my flesh. Do you know what I mean? It just, just, just doesn't get it. Even though I tell it, it just doesn't get it. So I want to stand here in front of you as a leader to say, guys, I mess up every day. I'd sin on the same things time after time after time after time after time. I know the truth. I know I need to stop. I know I need to give it to God. And I do. And sometimes when I do, in the next five minutes, I go back and do what I've just asked God to forgive me for. I was thinking about it this morning, and I felt really guilty. I was like, how on earth am I going to stand in front of a church and talk about grace and forgiveness of sin when I still sin so badly? And do you know what God said to me? He said, King David. And I was like... Yeah, King David. What do you mean, King David? And he said, King David saw Bathsheba, a woman, bathing on a rooftop when he was looking out the window. And he said to himself, I'm going to have that woman. Bathsheba was already married. So not only did David, in his mind, go, I'm going to have that woman as mine, he sent her husband off in battle on the front line to be murdered so she would no longer be married to him. And yet, after I've heard of David's adultery, after I've heard of David the murderer, do you know what it says in the Bible? It says, God said, this is a man after my own heart. I'm like, God, how can David be a man after your own heart? He's just slept with a woman that is married to another man and he sent that husband to die in battle and you're saying he's a man after your own heart? And do you know why I think he said that? Because when David messed up, do you know what he did? He ran to God and confessed. And he said, God, I've messed up. And God said, I know you have. I've seen it. He said, God, will you forgive me? And God says, yes, I'll forgive you. You see, what's really important is if we sin, not to run the other way. Not to try and hide. Not to try and make it okay. Not to try and brush it under the, 
the rug and forget about it. No, our job as Christians is when we mess up, and we will mess up, is to run to God with it and say, God, look what I've done. Because he keeps short account. He knows what the flesh is like, and he forgives us for that. That's what amazing grace is, guys. It's knowing that God has already forgiven us. But that's why Jesus loved David so much. Is that David ran to him and confessed time after time. Let us be like David, right? If we do mess up, let's run to Jesus. Because he has the most amazing grace. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Please keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com.